everyone. Welcome to Zon in Canada. This is your host, Jesse Betteridge. So even though most of the people who have been demanding anime content or subversive animation content on Canadian TV or, for that matter, on Canadian streaming services are explicitly looking for content that's targeted at adults, that whole industry and culture has been, for better or worse, kind of inextricably tied to the world of youth and children's broadcasting in Canada. Uh, and, you know, this whole area of Canadian media sort of operates in a kind of special way. And this has bred endless amounts of speculation and rumors about how all these things work behind the scenes. Uh, this episode, I'm talking to a guest who I'm hoping can clarify a lot of these issues and put a lot of the rumors and misconceptions that have been flying around for years to rest. Uh, he's had a long career working at YTV, uh, Teletoon, and DHX Media. Uh, he also currently runs a blog called Scenes from the Couch, uh, which can be found at scenesfromthecouch.com. His name is John Rooney. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show, John. Thank you, Jesse. So between YTV, Teletoon, and DHX, you, you've pretty much worked the full gamut of sort of children's media in, in Canada. Uh, yeah, I have. I've been at all three of the networks. My time at DHX, I should clarify, was just as a consultant, though. I didn't, uh, wasn't a full-time employee or anything. To, to be fair, it's not much of a gamut, though. <laughs> <laughs> so can you can you sort of uh, give us a little bit of background at what you did at, what, what your jobs were at each of these, these companies and how long you worked there? So I've, well, I've been in this industry since for over 20 some odd years now, and I've worked and I'm going to say working kids tell, uh, uh, television for over 16, 17 of those 20 years. Um, I, I started out at YTV um, as a program coordinator and worked my way up to uh, director of programming. And so basically I was in charge of the planning and scheduling of the network of what shows we would air and helped uh, with acquiring um uh, the programming and content that worked for YTV. So, so this would so, have been mainly around the late '90s, kind of, kind of. I start. I started at YTV in 1997 okay. and became director of programming probably about 2005. But I was been always in the programming department. Okay. And then after that, I moved over to Teletoon, where I, I had the same title, but my functions were a bit more on the strategy side as well as acquiring content for the network and. During that time at both networks, I helped launch Nickelodeon Canada, um, Cartoon Network Canada, Adult Swim Canada, and before I had left, YTV was was starting to work on ABC Spark. Right, and because ABC Spark is also sort of grouped in with with that youth programming, which is it's it, I, I know it's like Adult Swim Canada and Teletoon at Night. It's sort of grouped under that millennials brand, yes, which exactly. from from what I can tell is not really its own thing. It's more it's, it actually is, like, Chorus Millennials actually is Chorus Kids. It's just going by a different name. Uh, from when I was there, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the thing. Sort of this older-oriented content is still kind of, in some ways, joined at the hip with with kids' TVs, at least as far as uh, things go with, with tel- Teletoon and, and Chorus. A- as a result, a lot of the, the services that, you know, sort of give that millennial-oriented or even older skewing content as far as animation goes, are sort of entrenched in that world of, of youth broadcasting. Uh, so having worked for so long in, you know, kids and, and youth television, uh, what would you say is different from that part of the industry versus, versus working with television for broader audiences? I've always been a believer there hasn't been that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that one of the things probably on the the kids side of the business is that there's a lot more 
uh, repeats and a lot more um, evergreen content. So shows from 10, 20 years ago can still work and play and new kids of today will discover them and watch them as opposed to say on the prime time side um, where you, you're less likely to find a new audience for, um, you know, reruns of uh, MASH all the, or some of the older stuff. Um, but in terms of how we worked and in terms of the scheduling planning side, it, there wasn't that much difference. We took into account ratings. We took into account our audience. We took into account of what they wanted to see. I think there's a lot of things that we did on the kids' side that that sort of closed some gaps mm-hmm. down the road as we sort of got into more niche content. Um, for example, um, ABC's Friday night TGIF with Boy Meets World and all that stuff. When that went away, uh, the kids' networks kind of took that content on because it was a big hit with our audience. That's the live-action uh, comedies. Yeah, right. That was, um, that was always kind of a, an exception when it comes to American primetime Yes. And thus Canadian primetime uh, yes. content. We we sort of were able to be that home for for family programming uh, down the road. So we weren't we sort of uh, the, the kids market sort of transitioned from just we are just super serving a eight to 12 year old boy or girl. And that's it. And that's where we're going to be for nearly 24 hours of the day. And we sort of graduated into more of a family structure because we saw that the family family viewing and family programming was uh it, it was filling in that niche that was sort of going away from yeah. the older networks and, and, yeah it's and it's we've seen that metamorphosis sort of across the continent with yeah with uh well i mean i mean just just look at how the the face of ytv and and to a similar extent family channel has been since yeah. mid-2000s it's we we've seen a shift away from like various youth demographics to more of a generalized live action driven sort of comedy sometimes dramedy uh kind of yeah. format that I, I guess disney has really been the the t- template for and, and nick as well yeah so you worked with uh the launch of nickelodeon canada cartoon network canada and adult swim canada those brands of, co- of course working with nick while you were at chorus initially yeah. i take it and then uh cnnas when you were at teletune do you have anything interesting to say about what went behind acquiring those those brands and launching them because it seems that the, the current strategy is with not only youth content, I guess adult content in general seems to be just nailing down these American brands and just having presenting them with a presence on Canadian TV, not always necessarily doing something with the presence, as, as I guess we can probably assess with the way Nickelodeon Canada is right now. Is there anything you can say about the, 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 the different challenges or different motivations behind uh, launching those brands in Canada? Um, I think one of the things about launching those brands in Canada was that, I mean, Basically, the channels Teletoon and YTV were always kind of the home of those brands anyway. Yeah. Um, the Cartoon Networks and the Nickelodeon uh, programming. And I think for us, what we wanted to do was just sort of make sure that that those that we were we were treating we were treating those we sort of locked down those brands and and the fine content on there and and sort of expand uh, what we wanted to do because we had so much content coming out of both those brands and again these are at separate times when i worked with them that there was no way we could air all all of what was coming out on the network um so we basically had to launch a separate network to sort of handle some of the overflow um otherwise there's going to be content that was going to be left on the shelf and um 
could either A, be picked up by somebody else, which would be great for us if we wanted to still be exclusive with these brands, or that, you know, couldn't be seen here and who knows what was happening in the future. And I think when we, when, when both networks sort of put down and said, we're going to invest in this and, and bring these brands here and represent them, it was, it was a, seeing the future of this whole, you know, at the time digital uprising of all these different new networks and, and wanting to be a part of that. So the funny thing with Cartoon Network and Adult Swim uh, specifically is that it, it seems that with animation and specifically with the, a lot of the, the stuff coming from both of those networks, I always got the feeling that Teletoon and, and YTV also sort of dragged behind when it came to bringing a lot of that content over on both sides. <laughs> and uh, um, it, well, it's funny because as we kind of discussed in our last episode too – at, like producing animation is one of the things that the Canadian television industry actually seems to be doing a kind of okay job with. But a result of that always seems to be that there always seems to be more barriers to bringing a lot of American content in. Because, you know, if you could say one thing about the Canadian television industry uh, or the Canadian broadcast industry, it's that it, it really excels at importing American content. But uh, animation was always kind of an exception to that. I, I don't know. Do you think, do you think that the... Teletoon's ability to produce content has sort of impeded its ability to import it as well? I think there's a couple of things in there. I mm-hmm. think there's separate things, though. I don't think, one, you know, the ability for us to make our own content didn't mean that, therefore, we weren't going to import American content. Right, right. Um, I think I think there are just a lot of factors in there. I think, from a global perspective, we are so close to the United States, more so than any other country in the world, um, that with our with the media um, of the U.S. just infiltrating in Canada just because of border stations or what have you. And, and remember, this is a time before when the Internet was even uh, that popular, but yet we still have that U.S. influence. Yeah. From a consumer perspective, review perspective in Canada, we sort of just sort of gloss over our own stuff and just want the, the next big hits from the U.S. And it's always sort of been that way. And even now it's probably worse because it's not even just the U.S. We want the big hits from around the world all at the same time. Um, I think the thing for us, why why sometimes the Canadian networks at the time were, as you say, behind importing the U.S. stuff or why we got it late, there's a number of factors in there. I think one is, again, just not enough space on the network to handle all that content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why newer channels and newer things were sort of created to sort of help us with that. I think another thing you have to remember is that from a sales point of view from the U.S. side, we are still considered an international country, yeah. and therefore sometimes we are under international guidelines. Um, remember, this is still the mid-2000s, late 2000s we're talking about, so um, the concept of day and date as it pertains to the primetime world didn't really factor in on the kids' side because there was no chance of torrenting as you would have now. Um latest episodes of things or at the very least the audience that did was largely irrelevant in a commercial sense yeah i mean they, they, they were they were minor yeah um you know and then again again when you're talking about your, your average kid and again we're not talking about the like, adult swim or older yeah. content but yeah. we're talking about your average kid you know they weren't you know they weren't necessarily knowing that this was delayed that this was their first time seeing it um and didn't think that this had already aired in the States unless they went down and visited their friends or cousins in the States or were down on that channel. So it didn't, we were, we were able to program to, um, 
what our channels, what the channel's needs were um, for the audience that we were building up. So when when Cartoon Network Canada was launched, I know I know you were you were only at Teltoon for a couple of years. I mean, where was that sort of where, where were they at with that process when you when you first joined? When I started, they were fairly down the road, mm-hmm. and I think within like three three to five months, we had launched by the time I started. So, I mean, um, in terms of their plans and what they wanted to do, they were already pretty much set in stone. It was just my job to sort of help facilitate it and, and come up with um, uh, what would be the strategy for it at the beginning and, and why uh, why we aired the things we aired. Um, one of the things we wanted to do was we, we wanted to, as much as we could with um, the license that we had for it was to mirror the U.S. as much as possible. The Cartoon Network side, of course. Cartoon Network side. Yeah. Um, so when they had a new episode, we would try to air it at the same time. And again, again with logistics of delivery and stuff like that, sometimes it didn't happen. Um, we wanted to program things on the same nights. We wanted to do the same events, but only if the events kind of made sense. So obviously... You know, if they had something big on their Thanksgiving, well, in Canada, that's not a holiday up here. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, could only take advantage of what we could when we could. Um, and I think we were we were very successful upon launch. I don't remember the exact numbers, but um, we were able to sort of give that experience because we were able to utilize their promo strategy, their bumpers, um, and... Uh, they were they were able to give us a lot of content to sort of give it that experience. Yeah, when you when you watch Cartoon Network now, it, it's it's not exactly like what you see in the U.S., but it's it's so close that yeah, you really it, it really uh sort of sort of achieves that that mirroring effect. Um, of course, but of course, I want to get to some Adult Swim questions, but before I jump to that, I was I was just curious when this whole process was going through, was there any concern at Teletoon that launching a Cartoon Network Canada would dilute their own brand because Teletoon, I would say, is one of the more successful brands we've seen on Canadian uh, specialty TV overall. Now we're in this situation now where Chorus owns. I don't know what's going on there. I don't think anyone knows what's going on there now, but it it seems like they don't really know what to do with Teletoon anymore. It's always changing format, and uh, I, I guess with some fans, there's a bit of a fear that they might just wind up dumping that service, at least in English. And I'm just curious what the thinking towards that kind of scenario was at the time when they were first acquiring that. Or were, or were they not, or was it not a big concern? Well, you also have to remember that they also owned half of Teletoon yeah. for the longest time, so we were always part of Chorus. Yeah, oh, right. Yep. Part of Astral. Yes. So we had, like, you know, we did talk to them. We weren't totally out of the loop on what they, they were kind of doing. But um, I think the decision at the time was, I mean, they saw what was happening with YTV and Nickelodeon and saw how the launching of Nickelodeon Canada didn't really dilute YTV's brand. Um, and again, the fact of the matter was, um, based on the content needs of Teletoon and how much um, original content had to be promoted and done, and there was always content from Cartoon Network, it was just made sense to sort of put it up there. We did our best to sort of promote the difference between Cartoon Network and Teletoon is that in Teletoon we were really we were really amping up what the funny that we were the comedy part and we tried not to to um, put a lot of what I would say action programming on except for our Friday night block when I started there and we sort of made sure that you know Cartoon Network Canada had a bit more of that on the weekend right so because they because um, I believe Young Justice was running on uh, Cartoon Network yes yeah. So I mean, so there was so so there were a couple of things like that. We were also lucky that 
um, we had a lot of the Marvel superhero content, so we were able to say, okay, well, Cartoon Network's DC, and we were Marvel on Teletoon, um, and try not to have the two overlap as much. Um, but at the same point, I've always thought that Teletoon itself, um, and even when talking, you know, and even the people who are probably who are there from Teletoon now would always say that Teletoon is still slight, was always slightly younger than Cartoon Network, in a sense. Um, sure, they had um, 16 and Total Drama and stuff like that, but they still were the home of Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo is, is generally a younger program, you know, even from what, when I was at YTV and we were looking at things at, at their schedule that it was always a younger show and it was always younger than YTV. Mm-hmm. So I think that Teletoon has always maintained that we are the funny, wacky, fun channel, and then Cartoon Network was just for a slightly older maybe more of a 10 year old boy. I mean, yeah, you're splitting hairs at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but this is, this is kind of where we live in this niche market. Um, I, I always think it's funny when I read comments from people who post to space or sci-fi and then they show something that no one thinks is space or that's, you know, that's too long in here. And I'm like, like a mystery program or something. I can't even think of anything as an example. Um, and I'm like, well, that's not a space show. And I'm like, wow, you really are splitting hairs. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the market, uh, when, it, when you're looking at the kids stuff, the market is so diluted now with so many different services from Chorus and from DHX. They have their three services. And then, of course, you have Knowledge Network with, with BBC Kids as yeah. well, just rounding it off. Uh, I mean, do you think that's sustainable? <laughs> or, or do you think something's going to give at some point with, with, with these services? Only time will tell. I mean, we have the, I think the thing is, is that we are a tenth of the United States population, yet we want to have all the same channels that are available in the United States. Um, so, and then not to mention you know, all the streaming services that yeah. this, spill, this spills over into as well. Exactly. Yeah. And um, we have the same amount of kids channels as they do in the United States. So um, it's hard to tell whether it's going to be diluted up here and we're just sort of splitting hairs. I think Chorus has put themselves in a very uh, interesting and unique position that the majority of kids content um is filtered out there so you know from from their point of view you know ratings and ad sales probably don't are now a bit more centralized so it's a little bit easier for them in the sense of looking at the competition because the competition is pretty much themselves um and then from the dhx side because family channel is, is doesn't carry ads and um charge is the only one that does i mean that's not even a factor really yeah they, and it, they hardly show any ads from what i've seen yeah. I, I don't know if you've followed uh, well i've been i've been watching that that iron man anime that they've been airing on on family charge oh, and it's it. yeah it, it's an it's unusual there it's you know they run it on saturday mornings and they don't censor it in anything and not, not that it has anything you know that's too visually offensive or anything but they they you know it runs with a c8 rating they have there's a little bit of light swearing in it and stuff but they just throw it on there um and then during the ad breaks there's gonna be like i I counted two ads that ran during the entire show so that i i don't really know how how big of an audience that that service is reaching i guess it takes a couple of years to build a uh an an audience base for for uh for ad for an ad uh for ad sales like that yeah and then for them i mean they're like DHX is such an interesting case now because they practically have had to reinvent themselves in the past year. Um, when Chorus acquired all the Disney content, um, you're left with a network that heavily relied on U.S. Um, acquired content, I should say acquired content, not just U.S., um, 
and really they were able to hone their original programming to just complement their service uh, and to fill in the missing pieces, so to speak. So rather than, you know, we air, we create 10 new series a year uh, on their own, they only had to do like one or two, and now they're, they're finding that they have to acquire a lot more and create a lot more. So um, it's put them in a unique position to sort of figure out, well, how do they differentiate themselves in the market that, as well as uh, sustain themselves as original content. And I think they're actually doing a really good job. I like what they're, what they're trying, at least. Um, they're certainly think, firing at all cylinders when it comes to producing original content right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're doing things uh, very differently than what you're seeing on the other kids' networks uh, around the world, as far as I'm concerned. I think the closest is probably BBC Kids aligning themselves with some of the things that are working from a streaming model. Uh, the deal they have with Awesomeness TV is a really good one. And, and sort of and Degrassi it sort of helps put them on the map a bit more. Yeah, it's as we also mentioned in the last episode, it's, it, they made a really unfortunate deal with Degrassi with Netflix, though, because... Netflix released all the episodes in every country but Canada uh, before those episodes actually aired yeah. here, which they they really should have signed the contract so that it was the other way around. Yeah, they, I'm not privy to how that all worked out, but yeah, um, I think the fact of the matter, I think the, the the main thing is that one of one of the true original Canadian programs is still originates from a Canadian-owned network and a Canadian-owned company, which is the main thing. Yeah, so. So going back to, to Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, so of course you have the, the situation where Cartoon Network um, had a deal mapped out where they were essentially mirroring the U.S. network and were premiering as much content simultaneously as possible. Um, do you have any idea why no deal like that seemed to materialize with the Adult Swim side of things? Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I, I'm not sure how that worked on the Adult Swim side. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you have to remember that the Tech TV... G- yeah, G4 Tech TV had G4 a G4 Tech TV um, had a deal for a lot of that content. Yeah. And I believe that, you know, even though the, the CRTC sort of slapped their hand a bit and said you, that's uh, a violation of your license for airing that, they still had a contract uh, with Adult Swim. Uh, for that content, and I think there is a bit of a gray area as to why it can't be imported over. Um, yeah, they they, orig- of- they originally had their license changed so they could r- so that they could run anime, and then yeah. when their deal with Genion, well, when Genion died, that deal died along with Genion, and they were never able to strike up a good enough deal with anyone anyone else. So they just sort of went looking at other content. I know they ran the IT crowd for a little while, and then they finally started bringing the Adult Swim stuff over because yeah. it seemed after a certain point that Teletoon had wasn't really interested in it or they weren't bringing it over like they had for a few years around the, the mid 2000s. Uh, I also didn't think that, you know, to be fair and honest, that Teletoon at night needed it um, because the home of Family Guy and Futurama and uh, Robot Chicken, you know, they, they had a pretty good run that, that having all that extra Newer, I'm going to say newer because, I mean, Teletoon Night did run, run Harvey Birdman and a bunch of other stuff from the earlier days. Yeah. And not Quatine Hunger Force, I think. Um, well, you could, cer- that, you could certainly say they didn't that, They didn't have they, any reason to have to fight for it. No, and they could cherry pick what they wanted. Yeah. So they probably took a lot of the best stuff. I mean, I know I, I, I wasn't there at the time and all that was happening. Um, but I do, but I think when, um, I think there was a bit of 
confusion on that part. And then um, I think for Teletoon's priorities at the time, maybe because of that, but they're going to focus on the kids and not so much worry about the adult swim play as much because it's still a niche audience and their goal, you know, their goal has always been kids first, Teletoon and I second in a way. And, uh, which is which is which is the problem when you have two distinct audiences sharing one dial. <laughs> I was Actually. I was gonna I, I was gonna mention as well. Teletoon has always had this very difficult balancing act when it comes to because uh, they're not a, technically a children's broadcaster. They are an all audiences broadcaster that yeah. runs children's content during the day and adult content at night. And I, yeah. I know they've run into some trouble trying to keep that balance before, which is why Teletoon at Night has that ridiculously long disclaimer that runs uh, right now. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the thing that's, that's different is that, you know, at least from my understanding in the U.S., even though Cartoon Network and Adult Swim share the same channel number, you still go to whatever it is, 236, let's just say. Yeah. Um, you know, from all intents and purposes, how it's run is as two distinct channels. They are that this one shuts down and then this one starts up at like 10 p.m. or something. It's, it's actually, the idea that Adult Swim is a block in the U.S. is is a yeah. huge misconception. They are in yeah. fact two separate networks. That... They are two separate networks with two separate teams that sort of run yeah. that, that run them. They um, have distinct identities and purposes. They and that and from even their their Nielsen rating standpoints, they are considered two separate networks, which which up here is a lot harder to do. Yeah. Um, so, but even in the U.S., like when we were when we had uh, meetings with them uh, with, with Cartoon Network, where we we talked to them, they still had parents going, you know, complaining about Adult Swim. Oh, of course. Yeah. Kids channel. Um, and you still couldn't get you still couldn't get the little icon to change over from Cartoon Network to Adult Swim when you're scrolling down yeah of course yeah it has to get it has to be one or the other and of course they're gonna make the the station id that yeah. shows up on your digital guide cartoon network but aside from that they did, they've done a great job of distinguishing between the two brands that there is you know there is no crossover between those two whereas um up here it was it's it it's probably a little harder or was a little harder. That's one of the notable things uh, that, that you're going to notice most often, I find, is that you're, you'll find ad spillover between the two. I know one of the things that one of the most frequent complaints you see about Teletoon is that when they run, sometimes when the adult ads spill over into the, the children's programming for especially for things like call in dating services or. Or, or sex lines or whatever show up during that seems that seems to be a really common problem for some reason i don't understand why it's always those ads that seem to show up during the children's programming and then conversely and this, this is the thing that i am still really noticing with adult swim canada is that it seems that when i watch adult swim canada like about i think it's they're starting to pick up more adult advertisers but it seems that about half the ads that run are children's ads um and like I'm get I get the impression that the reason is because the, the audience is small and they can't sell enough uh, or they can't make enough sales to uh, to adult advertisers to to fill out the entire time. I mean that would be my guess too. Yeah. Um, I, I and and wherever probably advertisers just buying in bulk or something and so they have to fill the time somehow and they still have to run the ads so sometimes you're going to get those. Um, kids ads in adult time and sometimes you're going to get adult ads and kids programming that's at like two or three in the morning yeah um, uh, but it's two and three in the morning where kids should be up watching it i know that with time shifting um that's also caused a lot of concern 
that if someone on the West Coast can watch a show that airs at 10 p.m. here at 7 p.m. over there, they have time shifting. You know, parents are like, but you should be airing kids programming, even though it's Adult Swim. So it's difficult to to get different providers to yeah. fall into line with that all the time. In fact, Shaw just only only now just started putting uh, Cartoon Network Canada on the West feed. Um, okay. so, <laughs> so so I was getting Adult Swim Canada at 6 p.m. Uh, up yeah. until this point. Actually, originally this episode was going to be kind of a moratorium for the Teletoon at Night block because it was originally set to um, to end back in March. Uh, Teletoon apparently made a last-minute decision to not do that. Um, and the, the reason I wanted to do that was because uh, I, I think it's very notable that Teletoon is actually one of the first networks in the world that actually tried to do that dual yeah. uh, juggling act between day, uh, children's programming in the daytime and adult programming at night uh from the time from the very from the very point that they launched they were they were doing that a good two to three years before uh the idea of something like adult swim on on cartoon network was even thinkable um and it's it's funny that there's still so many problems with that despite the 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 fact that they've had so much time to to work on that but i guess uh we have so many factors like advertising and parental complaints and what package the cable and satellite providers sort you into uh yeah. it 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 uh it can it, it can be challenging going back to adult swim canada though so there i know that there was a lot of confusion with you know you know um g4 had their their deal in place but i i mean why why would they license the brand though if they couldn't get the content i i have a hard i still have a hard time wrapping my head around that and it seems like they're starting to make efforts now but they just they just can't pick up the the slack for some reason. I would just assume that maybe they probably had to as part of getting the content that they said that they would do it and hope to sweeten the deal. Um, and said, well, you know, I don't think they could have done one without the other, even though they are two separate networks in the U.S. Um, I think this is probably an easier way of trying to get a lock on some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully it would all kind of sort of sort itself out down the road. Um, and hopefully we're seeing, you know, we say sort itself down the road and we think, oh, it'll be a couple of months. But then, you know, with lawyers and paperwork, it probably takes a little longer than that. So as you said yourself, we're starting to see a little bit of that now. I think we'll probably with, I'm, you know, and I don't know where this all sits on the radar of the whole new chorus Shaw merger, because they've probably got a lot of bigger fish to fry. But, you know, hopefully there's a bit more clout that they can help them push some of that content Um sooner i think they've done but I, I do have to say that you know um you know at the beginning stages when we were programming and planning adult swim and looking at the content i mean you know we were we were we we had a lot of the back catalog which we which we utilized we had we were able to use you know uh, some of the uh, fox programming we got which was you know family guy and futurama um and we had king of the hill but that's gone now yeah we had king of the hill Sorry, not Futurama. I meant, yeah, King of the Hill and Family Guy. And then we were also able to use some of the things that hadn't been seen, like Tim and Eric. So I remember that was one of the earlier ones that we ended up putting in as well. Yeah. And then we're able to sort of bring back some of the ones that we thought were really good. And then, you know, after um, I had left, they, they ended up doing a couple of deals with um, the Fox Animation Destination because they ended up getting Hax Cop and a bunch of other stuff in- from them. So Interestingly, so they- that stuff is all off the schedule now. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how well it did. <laughs> I think but they, they were running Axe Cop on weeknights on Teletoon for a while, so yeah. I'm going to assume that probably did well. I don't think the rest of the stuff did. Yeah. So at least, so it, but the point is, at least that they were they weren't just 
leaving the service to, you know, leaving the service on the shelf to say, ah, it doesn't matter, we, you know, we've got all this other stuff that, that we don't have to worry about that. They were still trying to find ways to make that work um, while they were sorting out whatever was going on. You know, and now they pick uh, from they pick up Rick and Morty, which is a good sign. But you know, hopefully we'll start to see. You know, I'm hoping we'll start to see news uh, on the news readers because not much, but I'm hoping we'll start to see some of the newer stuff um, that uh, Adult Swim's known for. Well, they have Samurai Jack is supposed to be coming yeah. in the fall. I considering that they run the reruns uh, yeah. on the block. I I really hope that they they aim for if not day and date premieres and very very close premieres yeah. um of course if if they if they're saving up for something like simultaneous rick and morty premieres that would yeah. probably be the best thing they could do in fact if they can't pull that off i have to really question what what the point of keeping this going is especially with the app which is a really interesting situation because as far as i know chorus doesn't have anything to do with that it's run entirely out of the u.s side of things with adult swim i mean we you've mentioned some of the contractual problems that that probably resulted in the the weird situation adult swim canada's in i mean is there anything else that you feel has prevented adult swim content from getting traction and and uh and and whatever is necessary in in canada and maybe other countries too it really seems like adult swim content just has a hard time gaining traction outside of the u.s for some reason like in in, in the uk for instance they're they're on i think their fourth iteration of adult swim it's been (laughs) jumping from network to network for over a decade now I don't think that's an Adult Swim issue. I think that is an, a prime, what I'm going to call primetime animation issue. Um, how would you how would you explain that particular issue? Um, that programming, that style, that type of niche programming is just a really hard sell across outside of North America for, um, for audiences or advertisers. Everyone, <laughs> um, because it is so. Just the style of it and the humor of it is just so North American. Um, uh, An analogy to this is something like a show like 30 Rock, which is so U.S.-centric with the sketch show and the behind the scenes that, you know, when it debuted in Germany, I think it got like a zero rating because (laughs) German audiences just couldn't relate to this. And I think that that is the, the... uh, the issue with a lot of this content. And I think there's only a few that break out of that mold. And the ones that break out of that mold tend to be, if they were live action, just a, a normal everyday sitcom. Um, so Simpsons, Family Guy, um, Bob's Burgers, to some extent Futurama. Um, I don't think King of the Hill went, and, and possibly King of the Hill. I mean, all of those five shows, they center around a family, they center around things that are easily translatable to an audience um, that's foreign um, and and, uh, and and are, are on a broader comedic scope. Um, but I think when you look at something like uh, A Robot Chicken, it's a lot harder to get that humor to translate to people outside of North America because it's very North American-centric. Um, so I don't, I don't, so from an international standpoint, I mean, because, and, and I say that because, uh, in my role now, um, what I'm doing is a lot of consulting and doing a lot of, uh, working with producers and, and pitching, uh, shows out there and getting and creating own shows. The, the primetime animation scene is probably the, the hardest one to do because not a lot of people can sell that outside. And so not a lot of people want to take that on, which is why, going towards the internet or um, YouTube for that example, for that type of animation has, has made that uh, work a lot better 
than going to uh, a regular traditional broadcaster. It is funny you mention that because many of those programs do wind up getting dubbed uh, in French for the French uh, for the French Teletoon uh, or Teletoon Landuit, um, which interestingly from some it, it seems to be one of the most highly regarded millennial focused brands in Quebec right now. Whereas I'm not sure if Teletoon at Night and Adult Swim Canada have gained anywhere near as much traction. I think you also got to understand Teletoon Landuit, and from my brief uh, time working with it. Um, and as someone who doesn't speak French, yeah. one of the things that Teletoon did, which was, you know, excellent, was that they put forth the money to create Quebec um, French-only dubs of The Simpsons, of Family Guy, um, so that the Quebec audiences actually heard them in what can be just, you know, in, in Quebec French. I think they do Robot Chicken, too. And Robot Chicken, yeah. yes. Um, and they've made stars out of the voice actors there, like uh, they're regarded as celebrities. So and um, so that was something that, you know, that was done before I got there. And it was, I think, a really smart move um, uh, because, the French, you know, and this is only my small learning of it, is that, you know, the, could import just the French version of The Simpsons that, you know, Fox does for international audiences. And, and that's fine. But we were able to tailor it to to a specific audience. So we had like, you know, specific language and specific gags, um, mostly on the language to use, to use the Quebec um, uh, idiom, uh, which is why Simpsons, you know, I was told uh, when I first started there, you know, the schedule is like, don't touch the Simpsons on Teletoon Lenwee. Leave it where it is, don't move it, don't do anything with it. And, and anything you had to do, you had to build around it. We also had specific Teletoon Lenoui programs that, you know, we couldn't translate back into English that did huge over there. Uh, Tete Clock, that's the closest I'll get to speaking French in this podcast, um, which is a huge, huge phenomenon in, in, Quebec, in Quebec. And when we did the, our own animated version of it, did really, really great ratings. But it wasn't something that we were prepared to translate and bring into the English side because it was just it was really tailored to to uh, Quebec. Well, they they did now. There is the English version knucklehead. They are trying an English version. Oh yeah, off. it's actually running weeknights. Uh, they were running it on Adult Swim Canada for a while. Now okay. it's running on weeknights on Teletoon uh, starting next called? month. Uh, it's called it's Knuckleheads called? in English. Oh, that's Knuckleheads. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty. I I think it's from what I've seen. I think it's really bad. Uh, and I can tell like it's very mean-spirited humor, which I get with a lot of Quebec things sometimes, or at least the the, yeah. the animated stuff. I'm, I'm sure there's some stuff that's lost in translation, but I found that it was it was a pretty pretty inadequate final product in English. Um, same goes with the Les Grand Guel, which which became yeah. Two Nuts and a Richard. Uh, they still seem to be going that route with some of their other stuff. If you've been to the Adult Swim Canada website, they have a new pilot up for a show called Inspector Bronco. It's a uh, it's a French it is a French production, but uh, it's kind of like an Archer knockoff. So I think they're starting to move away from or emulating Family Guy towards emulating Archer, which I don't think is a problem because I I take it Archer has been very successful on Teletoon since they're doing the simultaneous premieres of that now. Archer, Archer was huge when I was there, mm-hmm. um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if it's the number one show. I have no ratings to back that up. They said in the in the latest press release, I think that it was one of the top. I think the top show yeah. on Teletoon at night. Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, 
Inspector Bronco is interesting because it's a it's a French production. The it's based off of this these series of these live action web shorts that were in Quebec Productions made with a Quebec staff, uh, starring the creator in brownface, uh, playing this this inspector in 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 India. Uh, the animated version seems to be a significant step up from that in in, in a few ways. Uh, they actually got the comedian Montreal-based comedian Ch- uh, Sugar Sammy to play the main yep. character in okay. both French and English, uh, which was a very good move because he yep. he really sells it. It is too bad. He, I was he, I think he actually moved to Paris recently, which may have been after this was recorded. So if this does it does turn into a, a full time series, that would be disappointing if they don't get him back. I, f- I found it was quite good. I if you if I encourage you if you're in Canada to to check out that pilot on their their website and and give them some feedback. Did you have a chance to to watch that at all? Um, I know you sent it. I haven't. Sorry, I've, I haven't really had to down and catching up on a bunch of other back TV yeah, that I've been seeing. Of course. Um. Uh. So so no, but I mean from what you say that I like this. Like you said, Sugar Sam is a good catch. Um. And um. Uh, even though he moved to Paris, it yeah. wouldn't take much to sort of get him to do his gig for voicing over English and French if it does continue to go into a full-time series. Yeah. Um, so, so just in terms of getting like this subversive content on the air, I mean, I know you you mentioned that it's a sort of a North American thing. So, do do you think that there do you, do you feel there are any kind of barriers towards getting it into like the Canadian system or you know, is is subversive content not really a problem for for Canada? It's just some specific finicky issues with the Adult Swim stuff. I, I, no, for, from a Canadian perspective, no. We we like I said, we're so close to the U.S. that we kind of share the same sensibilities um, when it comes to a lot of that humor. I would actually say that Canadians are probably even more subversive than the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, just from my own, you know, viewing habits and experiences and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes I feel the U.S. is just a bit tame. Um, there was a story that, you know, with Detention Air, that the reason why it hasn't picked up in Canada was they didn't, they thought one of the characters was, I think, too mean-spirited or something like that. And we were like, really? Oh, okay. Um, so, again, it's, uh, we can, I'm not going to say we can handle that stuff, but I think that's, that's sort of a bit in our sensibility that we like some of that stuff. Um, it's just more from an, inter- like from an international sort of point of view that it's a little bit harder to translate. And then when you think of, the, the business aspect, which is, you know, you put a lot of money into creating these programs and shows, you want to recoup that by selling them to as many people as possible. If you can only sell them to one other country, you know, how do you recoup your costs for making it if you can't sell it, sell it abroad? So that's why there's the we're, there's a little bit of a gun-shy attitude in Canada towards making more original content that way. In terms of getting the content from Adult Swim Canada up here and having air on Adult Swim Canada, I think we just, you know, um, from what I've seen in the schedule and how they're progressing, I think eventually we will be at that point that we'll be day and day with all that stuff. So that's my prediction. Anyway. Yeah, I, I hope. I'm, I mean, I, I love the app, but I hope it doesn't rob us of having like a kind of a proper Adult Swim station because yeah. i mean it loses something when you're just kind of watching things on demand and you don't get the sort of broadcast flow experience with with that type of content it really it really helps it a lot 
Well, and that's one of the things, like, from Adult Swim in general, from a broadcaster point of view, I think that's one of the things that makes that channel a bit more unique than, than any other channel is that people watch the things in between the programs, <laughs> whether it's the fake commercials or the bumps or the greatest uh, event in television ever and all, that, and all that type of stuff. Adult Swim goes out of the way to make sure that every minute that is shown in there is is captivating and and can be watched as much as that there are ads and stuff like that so that's the problem uh, with trying to import the adult swim brand is that like even just bringing all that stuff and reassembling it and trying to recreate that is it 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 really seems beyond the scope of what like the, the 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 team behind adult swim canada can do with their like obvious budget limitations right now I should say that before before the whole takeover, when uh, we were at Teletoon, the, the the group behind the promos of uh, Adults in Canada, they they were able to mirror that stuff to a T and were able to make Canadian specific yeah. type ones, um, which which were funny. And again, I don't know if that if, if that's still happening now. It's definitely uh, it's definitely I, I wasn't able to really watch it at that time because mm-hmm. I it, I I am on Shaw and the channel was not available on Shaw. I know that there were some bumps that, that were running, and there are still occasionally bumps that come up. But the network definitely feels empty now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, but at the time at Tabletoon, we were very conscious about trying to make sure that we had Canadian flavor type of those things. And we used a lot of the stuff that they sent us as well. Because, um, again, our goal was to make this as, as much as possible with what we had mirror what was happening in the U.S. because that's the only reason why you would tune into the channel up here. Uh, also in regards to, to Teletoon and Adult Swim Canada. So there, there's been a conception for many years that Teletoon doesn't want to deal with anime uh, <laughs> targeted at an adult audience. Uh, do, you, do you have anything to say to, to, that, to, to, to that belief? Hey. Um, I mean, they do seem oddly resistant to it. <laughs> No, you're right. Yeah. I, I think there's there is resistance to it in general. It's uh, and and there always has been. Like remember when I was at YTV and uh, we were doing Bionics and we were um, airing Inuyasha and Naruto and all that stuff. They they firmly were you know anti that side. Um, and and I don't know whether that was a competitive sort of thing. Like well, we'll just let them take care of it yeah. rather than trucking people do our own thing, which you know is is smart. Um, but now that that is kind of gone the way, the opportunity for them to sort of take that on, um, and, and uh, they haven't. I think I, I think for them the comedy is is such a big deal um, because it's it's universal and broad that something so so niche, so even the subversive comedy niche is still more uh, is, is still broader than something else that's from a, an anime perspective. Um, for them that they're not sure about it. Um, it's, I mean, it's just I, funny when you go on their social media, they're always just being like bombarded very, very prominently about, you know, bringing Toonami yeah. on Adult Swim Canada or, or to put something on, on television. And obviously people yelling things online doesn't translate into ratings. But <laughs> I mean, I think when, when there's, when there's a, true. when you have, when there's that much visible demand, I mean, it seems weird that you wouldn't just even just give something a chance. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. you're you're absolutely correct. I mean, yeah. it's and that and that is part of the adult swim experience in the U.S. for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I don't know why they they are resistant to it now, and I don't think they should be. And and I totally agree with you. I think it would it would bring a new audience to it, probably bump up the subscribers, hopefully. Um, 
that, that, that's another thing with pick and pay coming. I mean, do you think that niche content could play a role in whether stations are able to sink or swim? Um, I know that, it, a little hard to say at this point, but but I also think the age of the audience probably has a bigger play whether pick or pay works yeah. and in the anime audience, and I think that you know with Netflix providing a lot of content that way and with you know Crunchyroll up here and um, uh, a couple of other services I think the question is do they need to do that um, how much of a differentiating point would it be for them when they're when it's uh, available in other things and, and is it truly the best of the bunch and I I don't know how to answer that well I, w- I would say that you know between all the services you named I mean, they all serve different audiences when it comes to delivering anime. You look at the Toonami audience, you look at the audience that watches stuff on Netflix, and the audience that watches stuff on Crunchyroll. They're all different, and maybe maybe you could argue that you can't fragment it that much in Canada. But, I mean, there there definitely is the audience, because when, ne- when Netflix licenses anime, they wait until the show is completely done, and then they will yeah. launch the whole thing at once, dubbed in five languages, which, me personally, I guess I would say I'm a Crunchyroll person who likes to watch things every week as they air in japan i find that infuriating but then you have like the casual netflix audiences who don't follow things to a t like you know the hardcore fans like me and most of the people on this show do and will just like to stumble into something like that on netflix i think the toonami audience is is very similar in uh in in the u.s as well until toonami relaunched um the u.s a few years ago i was of the opinion that it's not necessary to have anime on tv anymore but i think that it has really shown that uh you know the audience is very diverse and and reacts to to different modes of delivery in different ways and i think the weird thing you know speak a bit more generally about anime Mm -hmm. um is that we i think broadcast executives in north america and i'm going to take netflix out of this because i know that they have a dedicated team who is really ingrained in anime but in general Broadcast executives in general look to anime more as a genre than as a genre within a genre, yeah. because within anime there is sci-fi, there's fantasy, there's comedy, there's all these different things, and it's not just one thing. Hopefully, I'm not speaking on term, but it's a style more than anything of a way of, of telling a show. It's it's certainly a medium. I, I think yeah. it's safe to say, yeah. So for broadcast execs up here, it's like you know you know this is still. You know, I, I hate to say it, but it is still such a thing that is it, they don't know how to program it because you go back to what a kids network is because they're tied together generally mm-hmm. um, is kid networks still don't they don't program like a serialized uh, thing. You just air a new SpongeBob on Fridays and it's usually self-contained and then doesn't follow the other ones. And, and it's only recently that we're starting to see them branch out a little bit of, of that of a serialized nature. So I think for them, it's a little bit harder to program. I mean, I even remember back in the nineties when YTV was running the, like that old nineties Spider-Man cartoon, they were for, for a while. They were actually not like, I think for the latest season, they actually ran every other episode every week for some reason. Uh, yeah, that was that was inc- I remember that being incredibly bizarre and and hard. I'm to not taking any responsibility for that. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I wasn't blaming you. And and of course, we all remember the, the Gundam Wing debacle. When the well, air- see, yeah, but you bring up a good point about the whole Gundam Wing thing, yeah. because I, I was I was there for that. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, And it was it was basically, you know, one of uh, my earliest jobs was to screen Gundam Wing and, and uh, Emma Swaltz and um, 
and I watched it and I sort of went and I said, I think this follows the end of it. This doesn't, shouldn't be kicking off the series, but, um, no, uh, other things prevailed because I think we were, we were misinformed or we were told that this was the sort of the launch of the whole thing. And so you, you take what information, and especially then when it was early ages and we were kind of all new to this, you take the information that you're given and do your best to sort of try and work with it. Well, while we're talking about uh, sort of that Gundam Wing era when YTV was definitely more diverse kind of network than it is now. Um, so, like, do you remember what the reaction is to Gundam Wing? Or, I mean, what the reaction was to Endless Waltz when that aired? Because it was, I remember being very surprised when it aired uncut on the network. I'm not sure if you remember anything about that. Um, I don't think we had any real negative reaction other than you're airing it out of order. <laughs> yeah, that that definitely would have probably... I think I think it flew under the radar of people who wouldn't normally get upset, um, and then um, and I don't think we aired it at like a really early time. It was at it was I think that you know by the time the violent stuff happened, it was pretty much past watershed. But yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah, so I don't really I don't think we got into that much of an issue with it in terms of the of terms of whatever violence or language issues there were with the show that i don't know about yeah that that late 90s period was it was an interesting time because ytv they they launched the limbo block at that time uh do you yes they did yeah and uh do you do you remember that i remember it being a it didn't last very long it, it, it was a really interesting attempt to try and capture the the 12 to 17 audience i you know i'm really hoping that some videos of the the promos and disclaimers and stuff surfaced because man it was a a real hodgepodge of interesting uh, <laughs> uh marketing material well i'm trying to think way back when so long ago i think one of the things about ytv at that time that when you looked first of all look at the fact that we had really less competition than we do now yes yes um and you would look at our uh i think our team number the team numbers at the time were huge more than what much was getting at the time um yet much had this cool factor around it and were able to uh get cooler um uh, advertising and sales around some of that stuff, yet they didn't have the ratings that YTV was having for teen audiences. So I think they tried to create something that would be more palatable to bring to advertisers to sort of say, look, we get this number, this is the audience we get, but if we would put it into sort of a destination area and air the programs that are popular within that destination area, because Buffy was just started and uh, was breaking out at the time, um, and we had a couple of other things there that uh, worked well, and we bought some stuff from England and, yeah. and other things like that um, and brought forth. But I don't think anyone was really prepared for it. And I don't think our audience prepared for it. And it didn't really make sense. And I think people were just confused. Nothing in it fit together. I remember like, yeah. I'm just, oh. I'm trying to bring up a list of the shows that ran. Um, I know there was, there was stressed Eric. There was Lucy Sullivan is getting married. I, I always thought it was interesting that they never tried to put Gundam Wing in that block, uh, even though it, it showed up around the same time. There seemed to be a lot of confusion as to how to handle Gundam Wing. It showed up in that really late. I think, and, and, I think, and I think the other thing about that block and, and, and YTV's CRTC conditions of license is that um, they were, you know, there, it wasn't as streamlined as it is now. Um, and I could probably, I should have probably prepared and looked up what are the conditions of license for YTV was now. But back then, I can tell you them off by heart, was that post 6 p.m. we had to have 60% Canadian content. Um, uh, so within that six-hour period from 6 p.m. to midnight, 60% of what we aired had to have been Canadian. Um, throughout our whole schedule, 
of our foreign content had to come from a non-North American source. Right. Yeah, I remember that condition. Yeah. That's because people were worried that we'd be inundated with too much U.S. content. And I think people were worried about it more from a, a consented point of view. So you had those sort of things working almost against us. And we had to try to find programming that would appeal to this audience and uh, that would work that was, you know, affordable because we weren't going to get the 90210s of the world or what was really huge. I mean, we uh, I know we lucked out with Buffy. <laughs> I know that that was something that people were like, really? And then it ended up working and, and you know, you know, for some for some reason, we were still able to keep that around because so I think there was definitely pressure to from other broadcasters to sort of buy that away from us. Yes, I, I know YTV always seemed really defensive of that particular program, which is uh, probably because it did well for them and they wanted to keep it. Yeah, no, it did. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so, so the shows that you mentioned, mine. I mean, so let's take so Stressed Eric was a UK animated programming that you know. We talk about programs that don't work when we cross the border on animation. This is one that didn't cross the opposite way. Um, uh, There's probably a couple of other British animation ones there, too. And um, I just don't think they thought, you know, if Gundam Wing was there at the time, that they actually even thought it was probably, what would they pair it with in the block? But they wouldn't pair everything. I remember we bought a one-hour WB drama called Opposite Sex or something like that which was about teens coming of age in high school, but the problem was the WB canceled it after eight episodes. Which So you're like, oh, we got eight episodes of something that, you know, we can't really air. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things with it that, you know, maybe at the time if they had planned more carefully and sort of thought it through, um, and I don't think they really did. Um, but again, it was such a long time ago, and I was just starting out there, so I don't know what all the thoughts were into that. So, uh, so... But there was there was definitely a drive for them to target that sort of elusive twelve to seventeen crowd. I, I've always sort of been of, of of the belief that Bionics was a one of the rare examples of a successful attempt at at getting that audience, especially when you see so many others fail. It was it was a success, and it was again this is where that thirty five percent actually helped us because we were seeing such you know Pokemon just. Pokemon still, I think, probably still stands as the highest rated show that YTV has ever aired. Oh, wow. I think there was one episode that, you know, was, you know, over 700,000 viewers, two plus, which is huge in Canada. Yeah. Um, and it was just such an utter, utter phenomenon that we we put a lot of uh, there, a lot of eggs into that basket because it was really working for us. Um, and so that's where the Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, the Inuyashas and stuff. Um but as we looked at Inuyasha and Dragon Ball Z and, and Dragon Ball, you know, they couldn't really air earlier. So we sort of created this area for them. Well, we also, for them at night, but we also saw a dual audience, which was that, yeah, kids were watching, but more often than not, adults were watching. So, and that, and at the same time, we were also airing the Justice League series, the first one, which, you know, I think the first year of that actually surpassed Buffy for our adult audiences. Um, so it was like, well, why don't we create something with this with this type of programming, some sort of block? And I think at the beginning of it, it wasn't meant to be like a specific anime-only block. It was a specific block geared towards an audience that was interested in that type of programming. It, it, it always kind of was, but yeah. I, I think for a huge part of the audience, the anime was the main draw. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Totally. But we also wanted to pair stuff that worked together, like, you know, a Justice yeah. League sitting alongside an Inuyasha didn't feel as far-fetched as, you know, something else. But it's, it's interesting because, I mean, the block was geared towards 12 to 17, and 
it, when you looked like over at stuff that was airing on Cartoon Network, you would all there was many shows. I mean, and that's the funny thing about Cartoon Network and Adult Swim is that they were always very open about their their ratings information for some reason too, and still are. And m- many of their shows excelled in 12 to 17 ratings on both sides of the Cartoon Network Adult Swim border, uh, both anime and other types of content. But they always routinely ignored that audience, whereas YTV really embraced it and yeah. to and it seemed to be to their benefit as well yeah um i think at the end of the day you know um ytv was good at embracing you know we had our we had our tears of who we wanted to attract but we also knew that you know at, at some you know there are these little niches here and there that we could possibly build stuff and, and attract this kind of different audiences as long as it didn't overshadow what we were doing as a whole and so Bionics just became something where we were able to do that, and it also fulfilled again a CRTC requirement mm-hmm. um, because it was it was it's, it was started starting to become harder to find quality uh, non North American kids programming that worked on the same scale as our ratings um, did. Uh, when you were trying to follow SpongeBob with Fairly Odd Parents, it was hard to find that quality programming, and the anime certainly filled, fulfilled that requirement. And of, course, uh, and of course, that that requirement is no longer there in their license, no. I believe. Yeah. No, um, it is it is not. I mean, I don't think that that requirement contributed to the demise of Bionics, like the losing of that requirement. Yeah. I think what contributed to the demise of Bionics was the influence and. and possible detriment that was happening to the rest of our schedule as well as the rise of the live action uh tween stuff that yeah. disney was having uh, of course the, the co-viewing strategy because yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When, that's that's the thing that I, I think people have sort of caught on to is that when you go all in on that live action dramedy disney disney style format for your whole <laughs> station there you really can't there's no room to you know experiment with your limbos and your bionics yeah. anymore you kind of have to just put in something that both adults and kids are going to watch together. And that's really what kind of alienates the, the 12 to 17 crowd. At least that's from what I've gathered. Yeah. And, and, and I would also add from, you know, a perspective is that, you know, it was still hard to sort of look at much music, which was getting the advertisers that we kind of would have wanted for bionics and we weren't really getting. So, well, they, they uh, did air, uh, they did air one anime back. Yeah, they did. Didn't they? Yeah, and they were experimenting yeah. themselves. Yeah, well, that that was right before they were bought out by CTV too. So it yeah. was it was almost like a last hurrah for them. Looking at you know just both the Canadian media system and TV in general. I mean, do you think that the the sort of systems as we have them now can still reach audiences like teens and young adults properly? Do you think there's a, still a lot of untapped potential there, or you know, is are are people just going to sort of evade the system? Or evade evade television in general more and more as we move forward. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, as some as someone who's trying to help facilitate and create original content, I think one of the issues that we have in our country, and this is starting to be brought up now with the CRTC, I believe there's a poll going around or a, whatever they're called. Yeah, there is a, cer- a CRTC survey on Canadian content, which uh, yeah. was discussed in the last episode. And if you didn't hear the last episode, definitely check out that survey. I had the link up on our on our social media. Yeah. So, and I think um, one of the, the hardest things for us producing this, uh, you know, not kids' content, but content as a whole, is that we're, in order to facilitate the tax credit system, um, we still have to have our program air on a tradition, what is a traditional broadcaster. So, 
nowadays that's just you know I think everyone agrees it's almost kind of ludicrous when you make web series when you um, you know streaming shows for Crave and um, uh, Show Me and, and Netflix and whatever have you um, that we have to wait for a broadcaster um, to say yes we will pick that up and air that on our traditional linear network and the problem is is that that funding of series becomes harder in Canada than it does anywhere else in the world. And I think that that's one of the things that needs to sort of change in order for us to uh, get out there and compete uh, more with what we're seeing happening happening globally. Um, I think it's uh, one of the things I think is really uh, weird and twisted is that we are the home to some of the greatest comedians ever because half of them go down and work in U.S. television. Um, and we don't have our own sort of funny or die type of outlet here. And I know that CBC is doing a great job with their punchline and doing digital service for comedy, um, but it just seems ludicrous that we can't fund the same sort of thing up here with, with the immense talent that we have. So, And as things are right now, it seems, even when you look at our streaming platforms like Show Me and Crave, a lot of the same problems seem to be sort of seeping into that area. Yeah, um, I mean, Crave just did Letter Kenny, but I mean, Letter Kenny was commissioned for Comedy Network, yeah. and eventually it's going to air there. So that's one way of getting around it, I suppose, yeah. in terms of how you premiere it, but you still are still talking to a broadcaster. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of us really want to uh, see change, just to make uh, access to funds easier to help us uh, start getting some of that content out there that we know that we're, we're capable of doing. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh no, it uh, certainly does. And so many projects have a hard time getting off the ground. Like, have you? I, I'm sure you've been following uh, that whole thing with Urbance. Have you heard? Have you heard of that one? Which one? Urbance. It's that Montreal produced uh, animated production. It's sort of like an anime infused style show where about that world where sex has become outlawed. Oh, okay. oh, yes, yes. I They've have trying to get that off the ground for a ludic- ludicrously long amount of time. A lot of the initial pre-production work has been floating around online for like close to seven years now. They finally got their their pilot produced, uh, and it's a six-minute pilot. I gave them eighty dollars, and I still haven't gotten my fucking Blu-ray yet. <laughs> I'm waiting for that to come in the mail. Uh, still, all they have to show for it is that six-minute that six-minute trailer or that six-minute pilot. And they they claim that they have a Canadian broadcaster and a European and some European broadcasters attached to it, but the pro, the project just can't get off the ground for some reason. There's I it, it almost seems like that is the type of show that you know obviously a lot of people would like to see, but nobody wants to pay for. Um, I mean, do you think again? I, I I guess you're you're familiar with it, but do you think that kind of uh, situation can change, or do you think this is just a unique problem with this particular production? I don't know if it's a good example. Um, I think. One of the things again, this goes to this goes to Canada being tenth of population as the United States. Yet we have so many people to create content and do stuff. I think there are just limited places to put it, and there are limited access, and, and the access to the funding is just harder. That a lot of Canadian programming has, you you tend to do a lot of these fun, what I call fun wacky tri-country deals. Um, just in order to get your show made, um, the Orphan Black, BBC Space, you know, trifecta. Um, and when it works, it works great, like Orphan Black. And when it doesn't, you're you're stuck with a hodgepodge of a show that's trying to appeal to different countries because each country with some money has a say in how they want the show to work. 
So, um, and, you know, and, and, and I think that, you know, if we could just change, you know, a couple of the rules, and I'm not saying the, the, the rules are, are bad. I think rules are needed or, or guidelines are needed, but I think this idea of a traditional broadcaster or a traditional funding mechanism has to, has to change. And um, that would allow for a lot more of, of other shows not to be so much tied to trying to find money outside or elsewhere or figure out how we get this all to sort of work. Um, especially because traditional broadcasters, and this isn't just in Canada, but I mean around the world, you know, are, you know, as much as Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Show Me and Crave and all these new services are popping up, all the other services are sort of, you know, being bought up and being merged into one thing. So now buyers and content creators are, are looking for shows that fit various platforms that they have that can be aired on various different services. So it's it's a lot harder to... You know, you're not. Sometimes you're not just pitching to one specific broadcaster. I have an animated show that's this, and you're, they're thinking, well, how does this air on all these sort of different platforms that we have? Um, and uh, it, it, it's harder. It's easy. Some will say it's easier now, and then it's also harder. So, um, but if we can just change a couple of the rules with funding mechanisms, I think we'd be able to open up a few more doors and have a lot more uh, fun with it. So you, you, you don't think we ne- necessarily need a yeah. giant sweeping uh, change of things? We can just there 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 are less drastic solutions. Yeah, I don't think we need a giant sweeping change of things because I think um, I, I think um, once you do giant total sweeping changes of things, you you tend to lose more than you gain. In in my opinion, um, uh, I think we just need to sort of you know open up the boundaries of what what you know. I think the specific one is being tied to the broadcaster. So open up some of those uh, boundaries that it does that a broadcaster is not your traditional broadcaster, but could be a web um, a web uh, presence or a, a streaming platform or an SVOD or an AVOD or something like that. I think you know getting that one done would, would open up huge uh, avenues towards us. Um, but I think there's been so much change in the past three, four, five years. That um, uh, that, I'm, that a lot of that change has, allowed, has almost allowed our country to be less of an incubator for original ideas and more of a place where the U.S. and other people can come and use our tax credits and, and we just end up being sort of service providers. Yeah. <laughs> um, with Runaway Productions and both in live action and animation. So on one hand, you can say that's great for an industry as a whole because we're creating jobs, but we're not actually creating, you know, uh, content or, or art. Um, and that and that, and that can be very, very detrimental. Uh, with, with Inspector Bronco, I, f- I did find it really interesting there Teletoon's current kind of approach with that, with uh, actually polling viewers on what they like and didn't like about the kind of essentially doing a fo- a mass focus group. Um, what, what, do you, I mean, do you have any opinion on that? Do you think that there's more of a uh, concern about audience uh, expectation now than there may have been before? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's oh god, yeah. Um. I mean, one thing I should say in the Canadian system, and I don't know how it was done in prime time, but in my experience in the Canadian system, the pilot, the, the, the idea of what they have in the U.S. of a pilot of a pilot system, where you go, you you pitch your idea, you create your idea, and then you make a pilot, and then your pilot is tested, and then if your pilot is picked up, then you shoot. Is not a concept here. We either make it or we don't. Um, 
And focus group testing is it was is considered a luxury um, in, in, in my experience. Oh yeah, uh, in this industry, um, but it was always something that we we kind of wish we had because you sink a lot of money into making thirteen episodes of something, and you're like, yeah, we're going with our gut. Hopefully, we make or break it. Um, and I'm not saying focus testing is the be all end all that, you know, because you get a group of 20 people in a room and they say something's good or something's bad that therefore, you know, everyone else around the country is going to be um, excited for it. But um, it does sort of at least it's someone who is outside of that small incubator of who can see it with fresh eyes. And it's nice to have that sort of feedback. The, the fact that um, that focus testing Canadian content before it goes into production is such an unusual tactic, I think, really says a lot about how this has traditionally been interpreted. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like, again, I can't speak for the primetime way, I can only speak for, for my experience. Yeah. Um, uh, the focus group testing wasn't something that we done. We, uh, it's been done a lot more now in the past five, six years. Um, I know that my last my last two years of television, we did do focus group testing um, on certain series, and we were able to get that done. But, you know, when I was at YTV, it wasn't something we really did. Um, so... Um, my pro the, the one thing about what they're doing, um, putting it online, is that when you open it up to the whole world like that, you also have to look at, you know, just, what just comments. Can, just Canada. It is region locked. Well, just Canada, <laughs> but you're still you're still opening up to all the comments that people can get, um, and seeing comments. And, and you, I mean, people have been to comment boards on like YouTube and whatever, on just on any video, and people can be pretty, you know, pretty harsh and pretty out there so I, I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of feedback they get and what they take from it um yeah because it's, it's a lot easier on the internet to put your diatribe out there than if you're in a smaller sort of contained group uh, as far as acquired content goes with with animation like for for stuff like anime is there anything that viewers can really do to try and try and create more of a push for for that kind of stuff like if they want to see teletune air more anime uh i mean is there is there anything they can do or are they just kind of at the at the whims of of the network you're never at the whims of the network i mean i know that i looked and, and read everything and as, as much as i could with the amount of information you're given i think the network has so many different masters that it has to do uh to deal with that sometimes you know um while everyone is clamoring for this it just may it may still not just sort of be right i think you know going and writing and saying you know here's some great stuff that i would like to see and you know less of the, you you suck, you should air this instead, or whatever, is probably where it will get dismissive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's all it's always good to sort of state your case and make your case as to why to air something and, and why we like it. And especially in this internet age, a lot of people kind of do that. I mean, people are showrunners and, and writers are a bit more adept to sort of react to what viewers are saying via the internet it's up to them whether they choose to follow it or not because sometimes it might work and sometimes it might not work but um i think now i think now they're looking at it and sort of take sort of taking it a bit more seriously than they have in the past so we're all where all they relied upon was a number and an advertiser so to speak all right one more question before we finish so john do you still watch tv yes i do yeah, no. I mean, I watch Netflix. I binge watch. I, uh, I I watch streaming services. I watch everything, but I still watch traditional TV um, and DVR a lot of stuff. I, I I still watch commercials. I the one of the things that I've um, one of the the things I always say was is that I wish 
I don't, I wish commercials were still a bigger thing because I got more stuff done because during commercial breaks, I could actually go and do things. And now with no commercials, it's just on the streaming services. It's like, Oh my God, I left my laundry sitting for a couple of days. Um, while I binge watch a show, I'm not a fan of binge watching. Um, only because I could probably watch two, two to three episodes of something. And then all of a sudden I need to watch something else. Um, just different. Um, because otherwise I, it's just too much. I streamed for what, for some reason. So here's a good example of where my viewing habits come. I watched Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt all the first season in one day, um, 13 episodes. And by like episodes eight, I just literally hated the show because I just felt it was too wacky. I had no sense of the, of the timing. I had no sense of how the progression was of the series in terms of, are we now two months later or three months later or anything like that? Whereas on a weekly basis, that stuff is a lot easier to sort of handle. To be fair with that show, uh, the first eight or nine episodes were uh, actually done for NBC before yeah. a- a- Netflix picked it up. So um, I think season two is definitely a little more tailored to the, the binge watch format. But I mean, I, I mean, I find that with a couple of other things as well that I've sort of bombed yeah. back on. But yeah, no, we, I still watch stuff weekly. Uh, what's big on my radar um, is um, just recently finished The Magicians, which I absolutely loved. Um, and just finished watching on showcase.ca the show Unreal, which if you're a big reality show fan is a must see, I would recommend. Uh, in terms of the anime, animation side, um, Steven Universe, I really love. Mm-hmm. I think, I think of the future, I, I, I have hope for the future of kids cartoons based on Steven Universe because, um, they do such a great job with that show and cartoon and Cartoon Network should be, uh, Applauded because they set up a great incubator programming there when they did uh, Adventure Time using those creators and that pool of talent that they have there to help create new programming. Yeah, it's setting up an impressive groundwork. Yeah, for sure. I hope it keeps going. Um, so, so that's kind of the stuff, sort of the stuff I watch. Well, thanks, John. Yeah. It was uh, uh, great hearing your insights today. Oh well, thank you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that was interesting. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. Theme song is by Ultra Kleistron. You can purchase it as part of his album Packet Flood at ultraclystron.com. You can reach me through Twitter at Canada or email zonancanada at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice. And as always, please recommend this show to anyone you think might be interested. See you again!